Today on Living in the Word with Dr. Gary Yates. The new covenant brings the presence of God into our lives. And Paul says that God's glory is shining in our lives and it's shining out of our lives for others to see. The Holy Spirit is there. The presence of God is there. And that's the glory that is shining out of our lives. Hi, I'm Gary Yates. I'm the pastor of Living Word Baptist Church in Forest, Virginia, and thank you for joining us for our study today. This is our final study on the New Covenant, and it's also our final study in this series that we've done on the biblical covenants. It's been a blessing for me to just walk through this, the biblical storyline of salvation, and I hope it's given us a deeper understanding of how the Bible fits together and how all of these covenants find their uh, fulfillment and culmination uh, in Christ. Uh, it's, it's just a reminder of the great things that we have in Jesus and the great salvation that God has planned for us. Uh, remember that there are two key passages in Jeremiah uh, about the New Covenant. There's the, the New Covenant passage in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, uh, where he talks about the New Covenant, God uh, writing the law in our hearts and forgiving our sins, giving us enablement for the future, but also removing the sins of the past. And then that covenant is described as a as, as an everlasting covenant in Jeremiah chapter 32. Uh, other passages in the prophets that we've looked at really speak of exactly the same thing, the restoration, the renewal of Israel, uh, the pouring out of the Spirit that will take place in the future time of, of renewal, uh, a change of heart, not, not just a return to the land. That's not all that God was promising to Israel but, but God was promising that they would return to him and that their hearts would be brought back to God. So not just a return to the land, but a spiritual renewal. And, and ultimately, these blessings would not just extend to a, a tiny remnant, but to the entire covenant community, to all people. There would not just be a believing remnant, but everyone who belongs to this covenant will know the Lord, the blessings of his salvation, and will have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, in an Old Testament context, this is very clear. Uh, this is a covenant for Israel. So Jeremiah 31 says, I'm making a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Um, the Bible does not say the old covenant was for Israel and the new covenant is for the church. This covenant is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But if we also remember back to the, uh, to the beginning of our study, back to the Abrahamic covenant, God's plan was ultimately for the blessings of Israel to become the blessing for all people and all nations. And God had said to Abraham, through you and through your descendants, I will bless all nations and all people. So this is, this is what God intended and planned from the very beginning. And when we turn to the New Testament, what we see there is that this new covenant is inaugurated and fulfilled in Christ. And both believing Jews and Gentiles who put their faith in Christ experience the blessings and the benefits of the new covenant. Um, the new covenant is not something that we have to wait for uh, at the second coming of Christ these new covenant blessings were inaugurated, they were instituted, they were, they were activated at the first coming of Jesus. And so I just I want to look at some of the passages in the New Testament, and there are really 
uh, five or six key passages here where uh, we, we see how we enjoy the blessings of the new covenant as the church today because of what Christ has done for us. Now, again, just to clarify uh, the, the connection between Old Testament and New Testament, the church does not become the beneficiary of the new covenant. So our name's not written on the deed here because we have replaced Israel. I, I, I think uh, Paul's idea is that the church enjoys the blessings of the new covenant today because we have become a part of Israel. So in Romans chapter 11, Gentiles are grafted into the olive tree of Israel, which is a picture for the people of God. And so Gentiles have become a part of God's people. They have become a part of Israel in that way. And, and that's why we get in on the blessings of the new covenant. We haven't replaced Israel We've joined with them in, in how we receive these blessings. So Walter Kaiser, again, explains that God does not make the new covenant directly with the church. But instead, quote, the church reaps the benefits of the new covenant as she participates in the roots and trunks of the olive tree rooted in the promises of God to the patriarchs of Israel. That's the message of Romans 9 to 11. And then his final statement is, the church has no grounding and no vitality except through the promises made to Israel. So we get in on these blessings because we become a part of Israel, but we also experience them because of Jesus and the way that he fulfills the covenant and, and inaugurates and institutes it. So let's look at the key passages that talk about this. And specifically, most of these passages will connect the new covenant to the death of Jesus. Because it's the death of Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross, that's what ends up putting the new covenant into effect and brings it into place. Um, the, 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 key new passage, the key New Testament passages begin with a couple of passages related to the Lord's Supper. And so one of these is in Luke chapter 22, verse 30, and then there's another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. Uh, that, that show us and remind us that the death of Jesus, again, is what inaugurates and activates the blessings of the covenant. When Jesus gives the cup to his disciples and then explains the significance of that cup, he tells them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so looking at that verse, Jason Staples has reminded us that the promise of the new covenant is embedded in the ritual most central to the covenantal identity for the church. Every time we take the Lord's table, we are reminded of the specific connection between the death of Jesus, what Jesus did for us, and the blessings of the new covenant that become because of that. Now, Hebrews chapters 8 to 10 make that same connection. It's the death of Jesus that brings this into effect. And in that passage... We have a quotation of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So our key text from the Old Testament is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 12. And the interesting thing here, this is the longest quotation of any Old Testament text in the New Testament. That's how important Jeremiah 31 is. And then when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, that, uh, that, uh, another passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 to 17, quotes that passage again, not as long, but a segment of that passage from Jeremiah is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 to 17. 
between those two quotations, okay? So Jeremiah 31 in Hebrews 8, Jeremiah 31 in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. He started it because he offered a better and a superior sacrifice to the ones that were offered under the old covenant. Now, here's why it was superior. Jesus offered his blood at the heavenly sanctuary, not at the one here on earth, like the priest who offered the sacrifices at the tabernacle and the temple. Jesus, his sacrifice was better because he offered his own precious blood, not the blood of animals. And Jesus also offered one perfect sacrifice Unlike all of these animal sacrifices that had to be offered again and again and over and over again, and because of that superior sacrifice, Jesus has instituted a superior covenant, the new covenant. He's brought this into effect, and the new covenant had promised that God would forgive sin, that he would remove it, and that he would not even remember it. And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 reminds us, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So without the death of Jesus, without the cross, there is no new covenant. One of the central promises of the new covenant could only be accomplished through the death of Jesus. Now, if we go back to, again, earlier in the story of the covenants, and we've, we've gone all the way through this in the Bible, the old covenant under Moses in Exodus, 34, or Exodus 24 was instituted by blood and by blood sacrifices as well. And so we read about that, Exodus 24, verses 5 to 8. Moses offers a series of sacrifices as part of the, uh, the, the, the establishment of this covenant. And when he does that, he pours half of the blood on the altar, and then half of the blood is poured on the people to cleanse them, to consecrate them, and the blood on the altar and the blood on the people joins and unites God. To, like They are permanently united in this relationship, and this blood united them to God as, as his chosen people. And in the same way that blood sacrifice was necessary for the old covenant to be started, the sacrifice of Jesus is necessary for the beginning of the new covenant in the same way. No, no cross, no new covenant. Now, another key passage showing the relevance of the new covenant for now and today, that, that we have the blessings of this covenant now. We're not waiting for them in the future. Uh, the, the, another passage that shows this very clearly, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in that passage, Paul talks about our, uh, his ministry as an apostle, and really this extends to Christian ministry in general, and, and how now, because of the new covenant, he has become a minister of the new covenant. And uh, it's the Spirit of God working through this new covenant. That's what brings real and substantive change and transformation into the lives of the people that he ministers to. So for all of us as ministers of the gospel, we can't change people's lives on our own, but the power of the gospel, the power of the new covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what makes change and transformation possible in their lives. In chapter 2, Paul asks about ministry, and he says, you know, when you think about the overwhelming nature of this, who is sufficient for these things? Who can do this? And the answer he gives in chapter 3, no one is sufficient for these things. None of us could do this on our own. But he says, God is the one who makes us sufficient. 
And the reason and the way that he does that is through the power of the new covenant. The new covenant changes our lives and it changes the lives of the people that we minister to. Jeremiah had said in Jeremiah chapter 31, God would write the law on the hearts of his people. Well, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul changes that imagery just a little bit. And he says that the Corinthians themselves are written on his heart. And so what's the meaning there? What's the connection to Jeremiah chapter 31? You know, Paul has changed the imagery by and by saying that the Corinthians are written on his heart, it reminds them of the love that he has for them, the bond that they have in Christ. But it also reflects that their changed lives. Paul says they are the letter of recommendation for his ministry because they prove that his ministry as an apostle and as one who is called by God is real. If you want to see Paul's resume, the best demonstration of his qualifications are the changed lives of the people that he, you know, that he's ministered to. And, and what God does in writing the law on their hearts, back in Jeremiah 31, is the foundation of that. So the new covenant changes lives, and it changes our lives, and it, and it changes the lives of the people that, that we minister to. Now, going back to the Old Testament, back to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 32, as, as Jeremiah is making this promise about restoration, renewal, return to the land, there was a prophetic sign act where, where Jeremiah acted out something that went along with his message concerning the new covenant. And we find in Jeremiah chapter 32 that Jeremiah bought a piece of family property from his cousin, Hanamel. And he, brought this, and, he, and he bought this property just before the captivity, just before the Babylonians take the land as demonstration of his confidence like that we can be certain God would bring his people back to the land after the exile. Like If, if Israel's never coming back, if the Babylonians are taking the land, why, why would Jeremiah buy a piece of property? Well, he purchased the property because of his confidence that God will keep his promise to bring them back. So in Jeremiah 32, as proof of that purchase, and, and as part of the sign act, they write out two title deeds. And one of them is sealed, and the other is not, and then they are placed inside a clay jar. And, and those documents, those title deeds in the clay jar, are, are there for safekeeping because they're the guarantee of the future inheritance when the Jews would later come back to the land. That was, that was like a guarantee of, of what had been promised for them in the future. So going back to Corinthians, Paul even uses the details of the purchase of that field back in Jeremiah chapter 32 to help the Corinthians understand and see that they enjoy the blessing of the new covenant that Jeremiah had promised. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul tells them that they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, The presence of the Spirit in their lives is a seal on their lives that showed that they belong to God, and it's a guarantee of their future inheritance, just like that sealed title deed that was in Jeremiah's jar. There are blessings of the new covenant that we experience now, the gift of the Spirit, the power, the enablement, 
And there are blessings that are still yet to come. The, the new covenant is now and not yet, uh, just like the kingdom of God. And, and the present blessing of the Spirit is guarantee of the blessings that we will have in the future. So Paul references that story from Jeremiah and the title deed and the jar one more time over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The new covenant brings the presence of God into our lives and Paul says in, yeah, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that God's glory is shining in our lives and it's shining out of our lives for others to see. The Holy Spirit is there. The presence of God is there. And that's the glory that is shining out of our lives. But he also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7, okay, notice the connection to Jeremiah 32. We have this treasure in clay jars to show that the surpassing power belongs to us and not to God. Paul repeatedly references Jeremiah 31, 32 to convince the Corinthians as they read the Old Testament, they have in their lives right now the promises of the new covenant. And the new covenant is operative in their lives in the present tense. And it's also true in our lives. The new covenant is operative in our lives today when we believe the gospel, when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and when we trust in him and experience that life-giving transformation that he brings. So God has given us the power and the blessing of the new covenant. That's what we have in our lives. But the Bible also reminds us that the spiritual power and the resources that God has given to us, you know, they have to be put into practice. We have to exercise our faith to believe what we have and then to live it out. So we've learned, uh, you know, in this lesson about the new covenant, we've learned what we have, but now that that power, that blessing, uh, that working of the Holy Spirit that gives us the desire and ability to obey God is something that we have to appropriate. We have to we have to exercise our faith and and put into practice uh, our position in Christ. The Corinthian believers, okay, let's think about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian believers have the new covenant at work in their lives, but it was also a church that in many ways is a long way from what God wanted the church to be. The new covenant would change our lives, and it changes our lives today, but only as we put it into practice by faith and obedience with the resources that God has given to us. Again, John Golden Gay uh, making a comment, and I'll close with this. He said, even after 2,000 years, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, we might add, it sometimes seems as if the Spirit has not yet been given. And it also seems, even as if the Spirit, even if the Spirit has been given, that it has brought as many problems as it has solved. We've learned about the resources that, we've had in, that we have in Christ. We've learned about the great story of salvation that we're a part of. And now it's our job to take those things that God has given to us in the new covenant and to exercise our faith to believe the spiritual power that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for being a part of our study, uh, and it's been a blessing for, uh, for me to lead you.